So today we're gonna take a look at the book of Job. It's a somewhat difficult book to、uh, to preach, especially on the, the subject of、uh, suffering. So as a part of our preparation, I seek the wisdom of、uh, Google. You know, this past month. On、uh, what Google think、uh, the book of Job is about, and very interestingly, when you are、uh, typing, you know, the book of Job, the first thing that comes out is a, a band. I guess there's a band called、uh, the book of Job, or, or a song, you know, maybe a band or, or a song. And then、uh, following that first hit, and then you got the next forty nine or so are all the、um, the critique, you know,、um, the critics, people on. Criticizing the book of Job, you know, on、um, God's sovereignty, on、uh, why why people suffer, you know. And then if you summarize, if you if you actually spend time to read the articles, to watch the videos,、uh, you, you will summarize. You know,、uh, there are two main conclusions on the on the book of Job、uh, from the、uh, from the Bible critics. Number one, number one. Uh, uh, Conclusion from the Book of Job is that God does not exist, and that is why people suffer. Right? That is why the righteous suffer, and that is why the wicked prosper. Now, and the reason behind that is、uh, God doesn't exist. The whole cosmos, the, the universe, you know, it's all biological, it's all chemical, it's all physical. There's no concept of morality, right? So there's there's really no.、Um, Um, they, they don't put a, a price tag, a value on being righteous, on being holy, or on being wicked. That's why it doesn't matter if、uh, the wicked、uh, prosper or if the righteous suffer, because it doesn't matter to the universe because God doesn't exist. That was number one conclusion. Number two, if God does exist, that God is powerless. He is useless. In helping human situation, in helping people who suffer, you know, and if God exists, and if let's say if He is powerful, okay, if He knows everything and He has all the、um, uh, all the power, He controls every single event in the universe, then naturally the conclusion is He's a mean God, right? He has all the power. He controls everything. He knows why everybody thinks, and yet he allows suffering to happen. Therefore, natural conclusion: he's a mean god, right? So that's pretty much what I summarized from、um, the searches, right,、uh, on Google on the, on the book of Job. So today we're gonna look at the book itself, to read the Bible itself, and see what God says through the story of Job. Now I'm gonna open with a question. If those two conclusions that God,、uh, conclusion number one, God doesn't exist. Conclusion number two, God does exist and He's mean. If those two are the only conclusions from reading the Book of Job, why is this still in the Bible for the last twenty-seven hundred years? I mean, you got people who are, you know, Bible scholars,、uh, the, the Jews who memorized the entire Old Testament. They they memorized the entire Book of Job, and they believe that this book is inspired, and it speaks to the love and grace of God. They did that for seven hundred years, and then Jesus Christ came, 
2,000 years ago, and then you got scholars like Apostle Paul, you got disciples like Peter and John and James, who actually wrote in the New Testament that refers back to the book of Job, right? You got the scholars through the uh, Christian ages, uh, you got Augustine, you got Calvin, you got Luther, you got all, all the scholars, right, from different theologies, background, and they attest to the inspiration, to the authenticity of the book of Job. Why? Why? If the book of Job only, um, only offers negative perspective on God, why is it still in the Bible? Now, let's take a look at that. And, um, um, as I prepare for uh, the book of Job, I, I can't help but to break it down into uh, two parts, right? We're gonna, uh, dive into a part one today, and then we'll do the second part, uh, two weeks from now. So in today, we're gonna talk about, uh, we're gonna look at the first 12 verses in the book of Job, okay, in the first chapter. We're gonna look at the characters of God. The characters of Job and the characters of Satan. Alright, we're gonna look at these three together and then uh, see what we, uh, and, and we see if we can get an insight into how to suffer righteously. And then two weeks from today, uh, since we're reading, uh, we're on this uh, reading plan, the gospel on every page, we'll kind of investigate how is the gospel found in the pages of the book of Job. And we're going to do that two weeks from now. Now the reason, uh, you, uh, the reason that uh, the gospel uh, belongs to part two because it requires us to read into more chapters into the book before uh, we can see the whole picture of the gospel in the book of Job. Okay, now, some uh, background on, on Job. Let's see, okay, some background on the book. Number one, it's probably the oldest book in the Bible. It's probably the book that's written first in the scripture. And um, Job is probably a contemporary of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, most scholars, you know, um, contemplate, they believe that, you know, there's a, there's a possibility that Job actually knows uh, Jacob, you know, because things they're uh, contemporary and they're from the same place. And then uh, the book of Job is collected as part of the, uh, the wisdom books along with Psalms. Proverbs, Son of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. Now, Oswald Chambers, he offered this summary of these five wisdom books in the Bible. When we read the Proverbs, it teaches us how to act. When we read the book of Psalms, it teaches us how to pray through the Psalms. When we read the book of Son of Solomon, it teaches us how to love. When we read the book of Ecclesiastes, it teaches us how to enjoy life. And we're on to the book of Job. The book of Job shows us how to suffer. The book of Job teaches us how to suffer. And then I will contest that the fact that Job is included in the Bible shows that God is loving. Why? Because God doesn't show his power by taking sufferings away from us. There's a very important role um, suffering and hardship play in a person's life. So God is not about to take that away from you. No, but on the other hand, God shows himself 
through our sufferings, through our hardship, through our affliction. Um, I believe that um, uh, people try to uh, change our environment, right? We change, try to change our environment and to, to make our life more comfortable. Now, um, the scientists who believe in uh, uh, evolution, they've been debating, you know, if this evolution is going to continue or not. You know, we're from germs, I guess, at the very beginning, and something happened to the germs, and they become monkeys, and monkeys become people, right? And now they're wondering, what's the next step for humankind? What, what are we going to evolve into? But then, uh, and then there's the other camp, of scientists, you know, I, I think this is it. You know, we're, gonna, we're not gonna evolve anymore because we've reached to a point where we don't adapt to the environment anymore. So we don't need to change our DNAs, our genes, uh, something about ourselves to adapt to the environment of Earth. On the other hand, we're so scientifically in, uh, advanced, we change the environment to adapt to our lifestyle. So that's the reason why they believe that we won't evolve anymore. Now, how does that apply back in here? Is that I believe that's exactly the reason why God doesn't take suffering away from us, from this world. Because once He takes suffering away from us, we lose a very big, a very important perspective of our faith. We don't experience God in a very important settings in life. If you read Psalms written by David, you know, the Psalms by Moses, you know, if you read um, uh, what happened to uh, the spiritual giants uh, in the Bible, Abraham, Joseph, David, um, Samuel, Daniel, Peter, John, every spiritual giant can attest to God's faith and then they show the strength out of their faith through the sufferings in their life. So if we take that away from our life, if we shield ourselves away from suffering, we lose a very important part. We, 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 feel we won't be able to see exactly how powerful, how loving, how gracious God is if we take that away. On suffering and on the book of Job. Um, and then uh, also in the book of Job, there are some major groups of characters in play. We see the interactions between these characters, right? There's God, of course, uh, not always there's God, and there's Satan, okay, God and Satan. And there's Job, and he's uh, three famous friends, right? And then uh, even and Job's wife in chapter two as well. So right now, let's dive into uh, the first chapter. And before we do that, let's, um, let's, let's pray again. And uh, let's pray that God will open our ears uh, to the book of Job. Let's pray. Lord Father, we um, come before you this morning. And Father, we are um, tuning our frequencies to your uh, broadcast. Father, um, teaches us about you. Reveal yourself to us through the book of Job. That Father, we can get a glimpse of who you are how loving, how gracious, how sovereign you are, and give us an insight into Job's life in Satan's nature. Equip us as you always do. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if you turn to page 346 in the church Bible, that's where Job is. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 6. In the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Who got Job? Well, when you read the first five verses, you you come to the conclusion that Job is righteous. Job is righteous. Just look at all the uh, descriptions that God used on this guy. Right? He's uh, blameless and upright, fear God and shun evil. Like this, this Job is perfect in just about every sense we can think of. You know, and he doesn't just sacrifice for his own sins. He offers sacrifice for because maybe, just maybe, his children sinned against God, you know, when they're having a feast, you know, maybe they have a, when they have too much to drink. And we'll read further, um, in the, in the later verses, in chapter one and two, you see that when the affliction with, when Satan is injecting pain and losses onto, uh, onto Job, the first thing that he did is he bowed down and he worshiped. He worshiped God. And this man is righteous. And when I read the first five verses of this chapter, I can't help but think this question. If God is going to write a book about me, how is he going to describe me? You know, and what kind of person do I aspire to be? And this question I have for you guys. If, um, if uh, this book is going to be renamed to your name, okay? And uh, if God is going to say something about you, what do you want that to be? How would you like to be uh, described by God? Have you ever thought about that question? Now, earlier this year in February, uh, we had a winter retreat uh, down in uh, Santa Cruz. And our speaker, um, Dr. Ekman, he came. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, during his uh, sessions, he told, uh, he told us, uh, he actually taught us, he shared this in his classroom too. The day that he sees Jesus, right? If Jesus would told him two things, he would be really happy. You know, he would think that he lived his life well. The number one thing, if Jesus told him that, hey, uh, David, you know, uh, that's his uh, first name, David, you loved your wife very well. You're the best. You're the perfect husband for her. You know, that would make him think that, that that's one of his purpose uh, in his life to be the best husband to his wife. And number two, 
Second thing he said was that if when Jesus sees him and he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. So those things are what Dr. Ackman aspired to be. A faithful servant of God and um, a loving husband for his wife. And um, for me, when I was uh, thinking about this, um, I, I had two, uh, two goals too. Okay. Number one, I want to be the beloved child of God. Whatever that means. You know. I guess when, when, you, um, when you truly believe, when you truly feel that God loves you, you act, you behave in certain ways, right? in, in ways uh, that's different. From, from people who are, who's here to realize, you know, God truly loves you. You carry yourself in a different way. Yeah, I'm still in the journey to figure out what that actually means, you know, being beloved child of God. But I'm hoping that one day I will understand that and act and speak in such a way to reflect that truth. The second thing, um, Something that I aspire to be is uh, to be a model family man. You know, to be um, the best husband to my wife and the best father to my children. And I was thinking if one day um, there will be a book written about me, you know, I will hope that those two will be included you know, as a description of me. So what about you guys? If the book of Job it's being written over again with you being the main character. Who do you want to be? Okay. Let's go to uh, the next verses. Now, something is happening in the heavenly realm. Bear in mind that whatever happens in verses 6 to 12 is for us to know. Job had no insight. You know, he had no idea whatsoever what's going on right now. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is splendid and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, not lay a finger. Now, something about Satan. The name Satan came from the Hebrew word, a uh, Hebrew word, Satan. Okay. And literally, it means the one who accuses, the accuser. And that's the tactic Satan uses throughout the ages. Now, you've been in a relationship, right? You've been on a team, a workplace in church, in your marriage, in, in your family. And you know the kind of damage accusations can make to, uh, to a relationship. Now, I, I've been through uh, different 
churches uh, in my life. I, I've had uh, different home churches, and I've seen it on several occasions how accusations, finger pointing, can break up the entire staff team, and sometimes the entire church split because of that. Now, I'll attest to you, at six, there were several occasions where that might have happened in the last year. And I was just so grateful. I was just so um, so thankful that I was actually sharing with uh, my wife the other day that, you know what, I really love our pastor, our elder, and our deacons. Because I've witnessed several occasions, no, 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 not many, a, a couple occasions where uh, people can easily point finger to each other. But that did not happen. On the other hand, what I witnessed is uh, in the elder deacon meeting, people were dealing with issues as issues and not as people's shortcomings. Where we work together as a team to resolve those issues. And um, I feel like I had this urge to share that with you guys because in it, I witnessed wisdom and grace in our um, pastoral team. But accusation is something that Satan uses throughout the ages against against the saints. If you flip, uh, well, don't, don't do that. If you go to um, uh, the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, Zechariah is describing another heavenly scene where God is sitting in the throne, the high priest Joshua next to him, and Satan doing what he does, accusing the saints, accusing the brothers. And then um, um, in Luke chapter 22, 31, when Jesus was uh, speaking to, uh, to Peter, he's telling Peter, 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 you're in trouble. And you know, uh, Satan has been waiting to, uh, to destroy you. But don't be afraid. I've been praying for you, Peter, and, 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 and all of you guys, all the disciples. Peter, knowing that in his epistles, he wrote and warned us, hey guys, be careful. Satan is waiting to devour you like a lion. Just look at what he does. And this guy, he's, not, he's got nothing better to do. You know, he's, God is asking, hey Satan, what are you doing? What what, what you been up to? No, nothing much. Just, you know, rolling around, looking for people to bully, you know, looking for um, uh, to people to destroy. You know, and God knows very well. Dude, this guy, he's a punk, man. He is the worst created beings in the entire universe. Okay, and that's the whole point. He is a created being. That's written in um, um, Ezekiel um, chapter 28. Let me just read that. You don't have to uh, go to that page. It's on... Now, this is uh, God's description of Satan's fall. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 28. 13 to 15. Now God is speaking to Eden. As God is speaking to Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian sheriff. So for, uh, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness 
was found in you. So this Satan, he was an angel. And the Bible tells us that he's like the best looking angel of all the angels. Okay, I don't know what he looks like, but he's the best looking angel. But he wants to be God. Okay, he wants praise, he wants honor, he wants worship for himself. And he fell. But the point I want to make is, so many times we give Satan too much credit. You know, we, we, we have this uh, scale, right? And then we have a uh, God representing goodness and righteousness, everything that is good in the world. And then we have Satan on the other scale, uh, on the other side. And then, you know, we feel like they're equal forces, but that's not the case. Okay. Satan is a creative being. God is not. God is the creator. Satan at most, okay, you put him here, you probably put a, another angel, probably Michael or Gabriel or someone on the other, on, on the other hand. He is a creating being. He has no match for our God. And something else we notice about Satan in this passage is, um, he is well learned. Do you notice how when God told him, hey, did you check out Job? This guy, he's righteous, he's awesome. And boom, Satan knew exactly who God is talking about. I don't know how many Job's were there back then, but he knows. He knows Job. I don't want to scare you guys, but it's the same thing for us too. This punk, he knows our weaknesses. He knows what takes us off. He knows how to pull us away from God. That's why right here, God says, notice Job, he shuns evil. He hides away from him. He hides away from the devil. And then he comes to me. Job comes to me instead. Now, um, something from this, from this passage that I want to share with you is uh, spiritual warfare is real. Talk to uh, Chris talk to Paul, speak to any ministers that you know of. They will tell you spiritual warfare is real. I, I can tell you how many times the week before I'm about to preach or I'm about to prepare my sermon, there will be like a, a big fight in the house. Okay, There will be accusations. Okay? There will be a finger pointing in the house. And then uh, it happened so much to a point where um, uh, Emily and I were just really careful when we know that we're about, when I'm about to preach uh, that Sunday, we'll be really careful. You know, we will pray and we'll talk to each other really nicely. <laughs> and the next thing you know is uh, somebody cuts you off on the, on the highway. And that's my biggest weakness, my road rage, you know, the way I drive in the punk nose. He will send this big SUV to cut me off 15 minutes before I'm about to preach. Just totally throwing me off. You know, to a point where um, even my, uh, my five-year-old, you know, Hammy, he knows, right? And, and he'll be like, Daddy, are you mad today? Can I pray for you uh, when, when, before we come to church? He'll be like, Daddy, can I pray for you so you don't get mad on the when you drive? You know, spiritual warfare is real. You know, whatever happened in this heavenly realm, 
Job didn't see. And we don't always get a glimpse, we don't always get an insight, but it is happening up there. And it's having a huge impact right here on earth. And as I read this section, I can't help but have another question for you guys. How much do you hate this punk? Who your friends are speak a lot about you as a person. But who your enemy is speaks louder. It tells me what we stand for and what we stand against. It's kind of thinking, just, just kind of reflect this. Uh, you know, take, take two seconds. How much do you hate this guy? Bring suffering, injustice, and sin into this world. Breaking our fellowship with God. How much do you hate him? Job is righteous. Satan is a punk. What about God? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. While God showcases Job, Satan accuses Job. Okay. Now, the, the, whatever happened in Job, um, some, somewhere along, I don't know, 3,500 years ago, during the time of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This happened after the heavenly war that the Bible spoke of in, uh, in Revelation. Now, in Re- Revelation chapter 12, you read uh, chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. He reads, and now this is um, John writing about the war that happened before the foundation of the world, okay, before Adam and Eve, before um, uh, the earth is created. And there was war in heaven. Michael, the good angel, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So by this time, by the time of Job, okay, the war had already happened. Satan had already declared war against God. So in another way, you can, you can, you can say that um, at this point, officially, formally, Satan is an enemy of God. And yet, what we read in Job is, in the heavenly court, when angels came and present themselves before God, Satan came too. When was the last time you led your enemies in the backyard? Someone you don't like. Oh, hopefully you guys don't have enemies. And But if you do, okay, if you do have enemies, people you don't like, you probably don't invite them to your house, right? You probably don't invite them to your uh, pool party because they, they may do something to you. And the only time you would do something like that is when you know this guy can't do anything to you, right? Does that make sense? You have complete control, complete power over the situation. You don't mind if your enemies come and visit you in your house. And this is what happened. Satan is already an enemy, 
and God summons his enemy along with all the created angels. God has nothing to fear. He has nothing to hide. He created this angel. Even though he's gone bad, he's gone sour, God still has complete power, complete control over the situation. God's sovereignty in the book of Job. And God is very aware of what's happening. Look at how he's, uh, he's, when, when Satan was uh, telling, telling God, hey, I'm just hanging around, you know, looking for something to, uh, to, uh, to, um, to uh, rob their uh, lunch money, you know. And God is like, did you see Job? You know? And then God knew exactly what Satan is looking for when he's roaming around on the surface of the earth. Right? God knew exactly. And then he told him, did you see Job, this guy? And, and to answer the critic from the very beginning that God is mean or God is indifferent, I think this is the evidence that God is not. God is very much involved in everyone's life. He knows exactly who we are, what we are like. And that draws back to the first question. How do you want to be known by God? Right? How do you want to be known by Him? And another thing that's very interesting between, um, um, between, the, between God and evil is we got this righteous person, we got Job, he has all the possessions. He's the greatest man in the East. He does everything right. And God and Satan have completely different interpretation of Job's righteousness, of Job's actions. God showcases. He told Satan, hey, look at Job. He's awesome. I, I just love this guy. He knows me. He knows what I'm like. Right? He does everything right. Whereas, uh, whereas uh, Satan sees the same situation, sees the same guy, totally different interpretation. He distorts, he lies, and he accuses. So, today, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're breaking Job into two parts, right? In the second part, two weeks from now, we want to look at, in this book, well, Peter wrote that the entire book, entire book of the Bible is the gospel, right? So our question is, if Peter is right, where, where is the gospel in Job, right? How do we find the gospel there? And we're going to come back and look at that in two weeks. But today, the question that we have is, uh, how do we suffer? How did Job show us how to suffer? Job is righteous, Satan is in play, and God is sovereign. How do we suffer properly? Now, I think number one key, uh, regular spiritual tune-up. Look at Job. Look at this guy. Look at what he's been doing on a daily basis. Even when he has absolutely no reason to worship God, and he did. He has no reason. He got all his possessions. He's the greatest man. He has no... He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to burn sacrifices to God for himself or for his kids. And he chose to. Um, if you're a car guy in this room, and then, uh, or if you don't have to be a car guy, if, if you just do an online search, sometimes uh, people ask the question, you know, uh, 
how do I increase the miles per gallon for my car? You know, how do I make sure um, I get the performance, the best performance out of my car? And if you look at the experts tip, tips, the first one, usually one of the top three, you will find is a regular maintenance, right? It's the same thing for us. A lot of times, we don't have that mentality. We ask the question, hey, uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to get married now. How do I, how do I find the right person to marry? How do I become the right husband? And when we have kids, um, how do I uh, raise my kids? How do I do this? How do I do that? Whereas if we go back behind the heart of all these questions, the question that we should ask is, how is our relationship with God? How are we doing with God? How are we a Christian first before we are a father, a husband, a person? How are we a Christian first? And the question that I hear a lot and I ask myself too uh, is, um, how do I live out my faith in my workplace, in my school, or wherever I do? And I think the question always goes back to, it's not that hard, you know, if, if, you, if you look at what Job did and then we apply to our um, contemporary context, do you read the Bible regularly? Do you have a favorite passage, a verse, something in the Bible that encourages you, that brings you close to God? Do you pray regularly? Do you talk to God regularly? Not coming from a legalistic perspective, but you know what? If you, if you want your car to run well, regular maintenance is key. If you want to be spiritually healthy, Having that relationship with God is key. And number two, uh, the second thing that we learn from Job, from the book of Job, is recognizing there's something ha happening in the spiritual realm. There's something that we don't see that's happening. I think one of the biggest takeaways <clears throat> from this chapter is that, and again, uh, did you guys finish reading the book of Job yet? Yeah? I have this a blank look. Okay, have you read this before? Okay, so you remember uh, this, this story happens where Job got you know, all his possessions taken away, his children killed, and he's got sore all over his body, and then uh, the conversation is between the friends, and finally, everyone's talking about Job. You are not righteous, that's why you suffer. And Job is like, wait, what are you talking about? No way, I, I've been doing everything as righteously as I could. And then, you know, it's going, going back and forth. Everyone's talking about Job himself, what he did, what he did not do. And then God came in, in chapter 40, I think, or 38, and he started talking. Hey, Job, do you know how the heaven is made? Do you know who gives um, the wild beasts their strength? Do you know how I made the sea, the land, and everything? He's telling them, hey, it's not just you in play here. Everything else, there's everything else happening in this universe. There's everything else, you know, God's, our perspective is we see ourselves. We see what we did wrong, what we did not do wrong. Whereas God comes in and tells us, no, 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 no. There's so much more. The universe, the world is not about you. It's everything else in play. That's why I'm, I'm challenging you, Joe. Even though you, you've been doing everything righteously, you are the, 
um, the showcase that I have, you know, in the Heavenly Court. But this is beyond you. There's more in play than just you. Realizing there's something spiritual, and just keep praying. Sometimes God reveals that reason to you. Sometimes He doesn't. Um, you know, we uh, we recently moved from uh, San Jose to to Fremont, right? And then, uh, so when we first bought the house, you know, uh, so the house had a facelift before we moved in, right? The previous owner flipped the house. So, so the house has got a, you know, um, uh, um, 20-year-old face, but then it's got a 60-year-old body, you know. It, it's got a facelift. And then we moved in, and then we just found so many problems with the, with, with the house. Um, uh, leaking uh, water pipe, um, uh, cable that's uh, improperly disconnect, uh, connected, and then um, uh, insulation, just about everything. So as we live in there and figure out these things, and then and then uh, we, sometimes we just Emma and I just feel so uh, frustrated. You know, we're just like, why, God, why, why do you have us uh, get this house? You know, why, what else is happening here? And then and then, but throughout all these, and, and sometimes I, I I got so tempted, I, I go back online again and start looking for our next house, even though we've been only there in less than two months. Now, maybe, maybe God wants to, want us to move somewhere else. But then um, every morning, around every, every morning I got up and then um, and sometimes I had a conversation with our neighbors, our friends. That's when I realized, you know what? We didn't get a house for ourselves. You know, we get this house for something else. There's another reason why God has moved there. And when I talked to our neighbors, I was like, man, these are really, really nice neighbors that we have. You know, so even though I feel like we downgraded on our hardware, but we, uh, we upgrade our software. You know, that the people are just wonderful in our neighborhood. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe I've been just so caught up with this house. Imagine you start thinking about how we can come in and bless the people around us and be blessed by them. Instead of uh, putting so much value, so much focus on the house, which is dead. What about the people around us who, who are alive? And then, um, so something else bigger than ourselves, than what we can see is in play. And lastly, do what Job did. Super glue yourself to God. Well, if I can find a, a more stronger adhesive than super glue, I will put that here too. But you get the gist, right? One reason why I know I'm somewhat a good dad is because when the little guys, when they're in trouble, they will look around, then they will come find me. Okay? And then um, sometimes uh, when I come home, um, well, as long as they're not watching a cartoon. <laughs> when, I, when I come home and I hear the garage door open, they'll have, Daddy, Daddy! And then they just come on and then, uh, give me a big hug. And then uh, we, get a, we embrace each other, we kiss each other. And sometimes, when they don't behave, okay? And this guy, even though he's only three, he, he knows exactly why, he's, uh, why, why he needs a timeout, or when he got a timeout, okay? Don't, don't let kids fool you. They know, you know what they did wrong. I give him a timeout, and next thing you know is uh, he wants to come and give me a hug. You know, even sometimes while I'm still, you know, 
<laughs> so this is what we do when suffering happens. We don't know what's going on, something bad happens, but there's only one person who's there with us. And we need to recognize he's the person that we go to. And that's what Job did here. You know, when was the last time you lose, I don't know, like 10,000, uh, 11,000 animals in one day? And all your servants, if you have servants, okay, lose all your animals, all your servants in one day. What are the odds of that? Something else is in play, right? And Job recognized that. And he goes to God. He praises God. He worships God. You know, this guy, up until verses 13, in his entire life, okay, as far as I understand from this passage, he doesn't have to worry about suffering. He doesn't have to prepare to suffer. And he knows how to suffer properly. He's prepared. You know, he has no reason to prepare, but he's prepared. His first reaction, going to God. Knowing something else is in play. Do we know that? Do we know how to suffer properly? You know, there are two types of people in this room right now. One, who's not suffering. That's good. It's a blessing. You guys are not suffering right now. Nothing's going on. Everything's going well. You are uh, verses 1 through 5 right now. And uh, a second group of you guys, you're going through something right now. You are experiencing something like what Job is going through. Something is wrong, right? I don't know where you are in your life. God knows. But this is the key. If you're in group 1, be ready for it. You know, it's a crisis in your life, but it's an also opportunity for you to know God in a brand new dimension that you cannot imagine. Group two, super glue yourself to God. Do what Job did. Okay. Lesson from Job, how to suffer. Now, speaking of suffering, um, a lot of us, who are uh, church volunteers or who are church leaders. You know, we know what suffering is like because of uh, spiritual warfare and uh, sometimes, you know, um, people just don't want to do what you ask them to do. <laughs> and, and yet you still remain faithful to your ministry and you still uh, remain faithful um, in your service uh, rendered to God. Uh, last week, we uh, recognized some of our leaders from this church. Uh, who's been serving, just serving their hearts out, you know. And today we want to bring out more um, more leaders and volunteers from our church. So um, you know, let's, let's, let's do that right now. Please uh, do have the cards. Okay. So, so first, I like to invite Jeff and Lily. Would you guys come up, please? Uh, they, they don't know this is happening today, so...
Don't need to prepare a speech. It's okay. So definitely, um, I, I don't know where to start. They do so much. Um, so we um, definitely step up and um, start taking care of our small group about half a year ago. Yes, uh, beginning of this year. And then uh, Jeff has a huge heart, a huge passion for the community. And then uh, he's always out. He, he's always, you know, he, he's also roaming uh, on the surface of the earth, but not in a bad way. He's looking for people to help. You know, he would just go around and see who needs help and offer his, his help. You know, and I have been blessed by, by Jeff and his um, car knowledge. You know, you know, I like to fix my car, but I usually end up breaking it. And then uh, I would call Jeff, hey, Jeff, I broke my car. You know, can you <laughs> show me how to fix it? And Lady. That's not true. That's just not true. So when we meet a small group, she shows up. She offers to watch the kids, right? The little, little ones running around. I said, okay, okay, Lizzie's gonna watch kids. It's awesome. She can help us out. And next thing you know, she comes with a Pandora box. You open up those like 20, 30 different toys in the box every week, you know? And then uh, the kids just come and then uh, she just got, you know, everything in control so that we can have a peaceful time meeting together. And she refuses any kind of compensation, you know. It's, I, I, we're just being blessed by their hearts. Thanks, thanks. And uh, next, I would like to ask Wayne and Karen. Wayne, come on up. Okay. Wayne and Karen, uh, Jeff and Lily, they are co-leaders of uh, Dual Citizens. When we started the group a year ago, yeah, about a year ago, you know my time is all up, sorry. <laughs> about a year ago, uh, when Karen, as busy as they are, you know, jobs, kids, everything in play, in their life, they offered a place for us to meet, you know, and then um, two weeks of meeting at the place, they graciously offer up their space uh, to, to the small group. And then, um, and then at that time, I was, you know, leading the, the dual seasons, and, and to a point I was like, oh man, I, I can't do this anymore, I'm really busy and stuff. And next thing you know, I went like, okay, you know, I, I can help, you know, I can, I can take on the leadership. And ever since that, every time we meet, they send out the, um, the invite and, uh, they show, they always bring, you know, one of the best foods to, for our potluck, right? And then, uh, even though we started meeting at church now, uh, when Karen maybe just, you know, bring the food and then uh, taking on the, um, the, the, uh, the Bible study or the spiritual portion, of uh, of the small group, and they've been serving faithfully too. When you care, and finally, oh, is your, is your wife here? Yeling. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Okay. Let's wait for Yingling to come. I feel like she tell a joke. <laughs> no. Uh, Emily says no. She knows my joke. So Elaine, um, you guys don't know Elaine. Um, you guys all know all the things that uh, Point, Point Elaine are doing for our church. And then um, every um, uh, Sunday morning, whenever Elaine's uh, oh, <laughs> hey Elaine. 
So we just want to um, recognize Elaine. Uh, so Shane, when Elaine comes up and lead worship, and then uh, I'm always looking forward to it. So when every uh, different worship uh, leaders come up, I was looking forward to different things from different um, styles, different songs, and different sharings. And when Elaine comes, she, she has that kind of, I, I think it's a gift or a magic, right, to just kind of bring, connect worship, the songs, to life, to things that we experienced that week, right? Through her songs, through her styles, through her sharing of the scripture and um, her, uh, her experience as a disciple. So we've been really blessed by uh, Elaine, Wayne, Karen, Jeff, and Lily. So um, this time, Paul, would you like to uh, pray for our leaders? And then uh, we'll have something to present to them. Father God, we are so thankful for um, these leaders that you have called um, to uh, to serve and to lead and to be examples for us um, of Christ-like love and self-sacrifice. Um, Jeff and Lily and God, the wideness of their generosity and caring and love, thank you, Lord, for their hospitality and their um, God, their their uh, just. They're welcome, and um, God, just wanting to be there for folks, and um, really supporting folks and caring for folks. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for Wayne and Karen, mm. and uh, thank you for um, just them always welcoming people mm. um, into their lives and into their home, God. for uh, Thank you for their maturity and thank you for their commitment to our church body all these years. Um, and Lord, I just thank you for the way that that. These two couples not only lead uh, the dual citizens group, but um, in so many ways our, our mm. congregation at large. Um, and we also thank you for Elaine. Thank you, Lord, that she uh, got uh, you know coordinates the worship ministry and leads us in worship. Thank you for her and all of our worship leaders, including our guest leaders this morning. Um, God, just always bringing um, us into a place of, of celebration, praise, reflection. And and confession as we sing to you, God. Thank you for using your language, your instrument. Mm. Um, and finally, Lord, I just really want to thank you um, for Dean and Emily and their leadership among us. I thank you that they um, shepherd us, that they minister to us, they faithfully preach your word to us. And so, Lord, for these and, and all those you've called to serve, um, which is really all of us, God, mm. we thank you and give you praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And then there's a token of our appreciation for our leaders. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It may be possible. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys.